This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. And now, the Brian Kilmeade Show presents A Look at America's Work Ethic. Where have American workers gone? What's quietly quitting? And how do we fix it? Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade, and welcome to America's Work Ethic. Yes, we have one. We got to get it back, or we had one. This is going to be a special, special hour as featuring Mike Rowe and Blake Manley. Now, you know Mike Rowe, Blake Manley, you should know. He's a guy that's really concerned. He grew up in the Pacific Northwest, logging was the number one industry. People got their hands dirty. They wore hard hats and, and jean shirts, and they worked outdoors. And now nobody's doing it. These jobs are unfilled. And he, as a teacher, went out and decided to take the bull by the horns and start training people, sending them into uh, different trade schools in order to learn the skills necessary uh, to make money, make a living, and bring glory back to these jobs. Because for the longest time in America, at least from the 70s and 80s, we were told get your highest education possible so you don't have to work with your hands. You don't have to do the manual labor. And what happened is we exported all of our manufacturing elsewhere. And then they said, okay, we'll be white collar workers. And now that we got to build stuff, now that we got to uh, learn the trades, have, have somebody build a house, have somebody work on the plumbing, have somebody work on the streets, on the sewers, somebody be a logger. It turns out there's nobody out there that does it, has the skills for it, or wants to do it. Because of the perception in American society. Look, we have generations of people who have generations of people who talk about working hard and working your way up in America. And as you work your way up, you do the blue-collar job to get your kids a white-collar job to get to the highest education possible. But somewhere along the way, we lost the glory in the blue-collar job, which is a great job. And you have to tell that to Mike Rowe or Blake Manley. But what you do have to do is express to the American people. That there is glory in that job. And a lot of times the pensions come in. You Just like you're a cop or a firefighter. And for the most part until recently, you'd have no problem filling those jobs even as uh, police officers. Why? Because after 20 years you do it. You provide law enforcement. You get through. Well, the same thing could be done with all those other jobs, union or non-union. And, and I just think that we have to as parents, as educators, and with the general public and politicians. You don't just go to... Uh, Wall Street, you don't just go to Madison Avenue, not to be too New York focused. You don't just go to Los Angeles and San Francisco and New York and Washington and say, wow, I want to be a powerful person with a lot of political power, a lot of rich person who owns these buildings. So also you got to work in these buildings. And then you get the family life you're looking for. You set an example and you get that feeling of hard work and accomplishment that you only get for many times by using your hands. But you got to learn the skills. That's why I think it's important to listen to Blake Manley, the creator of Manly Jobs. You see him on YouTube, or at least you will from now. Here's my interview uh, with Blake Manley. Hi, good morning, Brian. Thank you for having me. So what prompted, Blake, first off, what is your background? So I grew up as a logger kid um, in eastern Oregon. My dad's been a logger for 50 years. And then I got into education and, and found a job teaching forestry to high school students, uh, 9 through 12, at a little uh, high school called Sweet Home in, in Western Oregon. So you start doing that. So you realize what about your industry and about where the, where the blue-collar workforce is going? 
Well, we we realized several years ago that we were aging. And then a few years back, they did a study and they found that 40 percent of the loggers, specifically not just the timber industry, but the loggers in the West are over the age of 60. And so that gets to be pretty scary when you look at, okay, if they're over the age of 60 in 10 years, they're either going to be gone, retired, or gone, gone, and who's going to replace them? And so the state of Oregon actually started dumping some money into career technical education, CTE, which is the trades, um, but that's more of a technical term for it. And one of those areas that they were, they were putting the money was into forestry education. So we went from six programs that were teaching some sort of forestry education in 2015 to today, we have 45 different programs around the state that teach forestry and natural resources to our 9th through 12th graders, just giving them a look at a different career path that they're not seeing in the everyday classroom. So what's the result been? The result's amazing, actually. Um, In my community individually, we ran a job fair last spring. We're, we have about 650 in our high school. We did a job fair for just what I do, forestry and natural resources, and we placed 25 kids into the industry. Now, that might not seem like a ton, but for a small community, filling 25 jobs where kids would normally fumble their way through was a really big deal. And so from the small snapshot of Sweet Home, we've had a positive effect. So that's great. And these are jobs that pay well, right? These jobs say amazing, Brian. That's the thing that I don't think people understand is two things that have, have changed over the last, you know, 50 years. One of them is the jobs start out between 22 and $30 an hour. But my friend that just got out of doing what he was doing before and went into logging made a, almost $100,000 last year as a logger. So that job pays really well. And it's not your grandpa's logging. It's not I'm going to sweat and, and it's extremely dangerous. There's still a danger factor. There always will be. But you're in a cab now. Most of it is mechanized. Most of it is running a piece of machinery and your boots are off the ground and right. you're, you're in a cab. So Blake Manley, our guest, he's the author and creator of Manly Jobs. Blake, are you worried overall like the Mike Rose of the world are about people just running from the trades. We manufacturing left, and so did any interest in becoming a blue collar worker in America to a degree. I'm terrified, Brian. I'm I'm absolutely terrified. I see it all the time. The little snapshot that I do with high school stuff is great. What the University of Idaho is doing by offering a two year program is great, but. I see it as a, as a huge gap right now. I mean, Mike got on the other day and said that there's 10 million open jobs right now and unemployment's only 7 million people. So we're still way out of whack and not able to fill all those jobs. And people got to realize that if we don't have loggers, we don't have lumber mills, we're not toilet paper. I mean, something as simple as that, you know, that comes from the forestry industry. And when we don't have people cutting down trees and replanting them and doing all that, we don't have some basic essentials. I think so. And did you think that growing up for you, was that ever an issue that you thought you'd be looking at right now? N- no way. No, I, I never looked at this and said, you know, 20 years from now when I graduate from high school, we're going to have a massive logger shortage. You know, my dad talked all the time about how the workforce was aging throughout the, 
late nineties and then the two thousands and people are discouraged from going to into a job like that, into any of the jobs, welding, fabrication, all that. It was, you go to college or you're not going to be worth anything. And we just know that's not the case today, but I, I never imagined that. At Sweet Home last year, 63% of the students that walked in my room, seniors that had walked in my room, did not go to a four-year college. They went on to higher education in different ways, whether it was a trade school yeah. or a two-year or something, but not the typical four-year. You know what I think you need? I think just like the, just, just the stop smoking campaign, uh, you know, the stop texting and driving campaign, you need a positive campaign on a blue-collar, the image of a blue-collar worker. Just like the military does in order to get recruits in time in peaceful times, and I think the same thing because parents feel pressure from other parents to make sure their kid, when he graduates or she graduates, is going on to a four-year school. If they say, "Well, my kid's going to be a plumber," that's suddenly not looked at with great pride, and it should be. It should be because that plumber is going to have no debt, and that plumber is going to own their house before the university student and that plumber is going to be the one that they call to fix their problem. And I think that's, that's hugely vital right now. And we don't, we don't do what you're talking about. We don't make it flashy and nice. That's what we kind of started doing with manly jobs is, you know, during COVID I would follow around different people, mainly in the forestry industry, but we went with knife river in the construction industry as well. And we would look at them and we'd show people, hey, these jobs are good jobs. Yeah. These people are enjoying themselves. It's a good it's a good life. I mean, it's almost like for one thing, anyone who's ever a firefighter, they always talk about the camaraderie. The minute you do, you never want to stop it and you never want to forget when you do retire. There's the same camaraderie that can be built in these blue-collar situations. And you know better than me, but I've heard it with logging specifically. You become like a team out there. You, you become like a family out there. It's, it's one step further. Like the the guys that I broke into the woods with when I was first coming out of high school, they're like family. And, and when they pass away, you know, we all go to the funeral. It's like a family reunion. Gotcha. You know, and and the scary thing is, is that's where that workforce is at. Now we get together for family reunions, logger reunions at services. So that's Blake Manley. Hope you enjoy his perspective. You might have the biggest names uh, in the business, but he's also making a big impact already. He's putting people into the workforce. He's already seeing it. And I also think a lot of this to do with perception. Somebody did not have to be woken up to uh, the dangers of not having Americans willing to work hard for a living and a generation deciding they're above blue-collar work and learning the skills of manual labor is Mike Rowe. He's got a series of foundations. He's got some great shows. He's got dirty jobs that have his emergent that, that had him emerge here. He's got a great series, by the way, on Fox News. So Mike Rowe, if you talk off camera as well as on camera, he's fascinated with the inventor, the entrepreneur, but also in awe of those people who, who have to take a shower after the workday. I love that description. At the end of the day, you're sweaty, you're grimy, and to go out, you need to take a shower. I have to say, as much as this is kind of work, I don't necessarily have to take a shower at the end of the day unless I work out. Then I'll take a shower. Next, Mike Rowe, Brian Kilmeade Show, America's Work Ethic. America's Work Ethic. What happened? More with Brian Kilmeade coming up. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. 
all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You're listening to A Look at America's Work Ethic with Brian Kilmeade. Would you walk us through a typical day for you? Yeah. Great. Well, I generally come in at least 15 minutes late. Uh, I use the side door. That way Lumberg can't see me. <laughs> and, uh, and after that, I just sort of space out for about an hour. Tell but, uh, space out? Yeah. I just stare at my desk but it looks like I'm working. I do that for uh, probably another hour after lunch too. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work. The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. Don't, don't care? It's a problem of motivation, all right? Now, if I work my ass off and Initech ships a few extra units, I don't see another dime. So where's the motivation? And here's something else, Bob. I have eight different bosses right now. Uh, beg your pardon? Eight bosses. Eight? Eight, Bob. So that means that when I make a mistake, I have eight different people coming by to tell me about it. That's my only real motivation, is not to be hassled. That and the fear of losing my job. But you know, Bob, that'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. There you go. Uh, that was a long clip from Office Space, but gets the point across. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our special edition of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We look at America's work ethic with Mike Rowe. Before I get to Mike Rowe's uh, portion of our show, just a quick thing about America's work ethic. That's the longest way, the way people always described us as extremely hard workers. So that's one thing the Europeans just don't have. You know, the French in particular, they got culture. uh, They are smart. They're they're well-read. But we have the work ethic. In fact, They did a study. The strong work ethic of America has been a defining characteristic of this country from almost day one. In fact, in 2017, America's work at work, 25 percent more hours, take less vacation and are retiring later relative to the workers throughout the world. What happened since the pandemic as America took a deep breath and sat back and kicked back? And with all the social money, uh, with social programs, as well as the money flooding in, we've lost the hunger. You need hunger. And what you just heard in that comedy And that clip from that funny movie was really kind of based in fact, you know, how much do you need me? If I'm not really worth anything, am I paying anything? Do I have some stake in the game? Do I have a stake in the game? Do I have a horse in the race? And if I'm going to get paid the same, whether I work 15 minutes or 15 hours, I personally would work 15 hours. But more and more people are saying it's called work 15 minutes. So that's what Mike Rowe and I were discussing for the most part. So. Uh, John Mackey has said the same thing, too, about Whole Foods. He's a Whole Foods CEO. He says he needs to find people to fill his jobs. They're not glorious jobs necessarily, but work of a Whole Foods is a prestigious job. People love working there. It's almost like a tourist attraction. So John Mackey uh, weighed in on Whole Foods, on the work ethic, and the need to find people that really want to work. States 
increased the amount they gave and, ex and extended the version. Did that have an impact on your workers? It had, a, it had an impact on our ability to hire. A lot of people could, were making as much money or more money not working at all. Right. And so guess what? They chose not to work. Yeah. And it's been, they've been reluctant to come back to work. It's sort of, um, they got used to it. Micro with us, Micro Works. Uh, you got his foundation. You got uh, Micro, uh, How America Works on Fox Business, uh, Mondays at 8 o'clock, brand new season. And that was Hopeful CEO talking about something that's passionate to, with you is about work. John Mackey, one of the most successful executives in the country, can't get people to work. And said since the pandemic, he can't get his mind around what's going on. Yeah. He's not alone. And he's in a tough spot. Because he needs workers. You can't he, get a robot to do that. He needs workers, but he's in a tough spot because he occupies a certain real estate in the conversation. And the, the, the fans of Whole Foods, the people by and large, if you're going to try and drill down into their politics, that's not a message they want to hear from a guy like that. But it, <laughs> what choice does he have? I, I, I don't know of any employer, and I know a lot of employers, Brian, especially in the, in the construction world, who couldn't hire a dozen people right now. But Anywhere I go, it's my only question I ask everybody. How many are you hiring? Yeah. It, how many could you hire? It's amazing. We've, we've got 7.5 million open positions, 5.8 million people purportedly in the market looking for work. Even if all those people got hooked up with some of these jobs, and it's unlikely because the mismatch of skills is egregious, but even if they did, you'd still be looking at 6 million unfilled opportunities. And somebody somewhere at some point needs to ask this question real loud. What does all of that opportunity, all of that unfilled opportunity, say about the country? But listen to our conversations, how it's changed. It wouldn't be like, why don't we get more people into technical colleges to fill up some of these uh, blue-collar positions? And now we say, why can't we get anyone to work? So what happened? We went from get them to we have overstaffed in one place. You know, you can't fit into acting and, mm -hmm. and the arts. You can't really – it's hard to work in at Wall Street. But, man, if you're a plumber, we're desperate for you. We'll train you. We'll send you to school. That used to be our conversation. But our new conversation is where's the workforce? Yeah. Well, it's not really new, but it is coming back around. The wheel is spinning, and that's the thing that, that's going to land squarely on our, on our doorstep, work ethic. Delayed gratification, a decent attitude, personal responsibility, all the stuff that makes me sound like an angry white boomer on the porch screaming at the kids to get off his lawn. I'm sorry, but that's the stuff that's for sale right now. And it's the stuff my foundation has always tried to magnify. It's the stuff no one wants to hear about it because nobody wants a lecture, Brian. Nobody wants to be scolded. Nobody wants to be told they're lazy. But... At some point, when you look around and you look at policies that are encouraging people not to work, then go back to our last break, right, when we were talking about what's the, what happens if you make the police the enemy? What happens if you make fossil fuels the enemy? What happens if you make work the enemy? This is what happens. Right, and this is what you need a leader to be, whether it's a governor in for your state or the president of your country or the leader of your family. You tell people the value and uh, the value of work, and you sense stuff that was used to be innate. Man, I worked all day; I feel great about myself. You, yeah. you, you get that from your family, you get that from your leaders, you get that from your peers. We don't get that now. No, we don't. And we we can change that, but I didn't think we'd have to consciously have to change that. But somehow through this pandemic, things got terrible, and everyone says the same thing: How did we get here? Where are the workers? <laughs> 
More Mike Rowe in a second. You're listening to A Look at America's Work Ethic with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone, to this special edition of uh, America, of the Brian Kilmeade Show, America's Work Ethic. Where has it gone? And by the way, this is an opportunity, too. If you do have a work ethic, if you come from a family of hard workers, you're going to stand out more than ever because so many people phoned it in, were told to go home after the pandemic, and famously didn't come back. So as Mike Rowe travels the country and meets people who do their job because they have values in ethics and what you do when people aren't watching to find who you are, and that's how they live their life, uh, the pure good, the backbone of this country, I would argue. People with skills that like working with their hands and not afraid to do it, dare I say, maybe have both great intellect and choose to break a sweat. And as I said earlier in the show, people that have to shower at the end of the day. So doing my research for Booker T. Washington, the guy who was born a slave, wrote a book up from slavery and where he went from there and what it, uh, how he, uh, his philosophy on African-Americans, how to work their way through a society where they saw black and white is a huge difference. I thought it was a, a thing to bring up in this segment. But here's my, my talk with Mike Rowe, his insight uh, and what his advice to the American people and the country as we hope to get back to work and get some skills. The definition of a good job, the whole conversation we've been having about unemployment versus labor force participation, that's, it, it, it will impact everything. Everything is going to impact that topic, right? We still got 7 million people, able-bodied men, sitting out. The entire workforce. Right. And what we were saying during the break, you know, these big companies now in Silicon Valley, they're, they're going to start laying people off. Amazon. They're going to they're lay people off. And those people are not going to have the necessary skills to fill the, the, the current openings. So now it is, in my view, we went from a skills gap to a will gap. And now we're going to come back to a skill gap and a will gap. We're going to have lots of unemployed people who aren't trained for the jobs that exist, and we're going to have lots of people who could step into those jobs who, for whatever reason, have elected not to. So, Mike, uh, that is in the big picture is people aren't working, and people are frustrated they can't hire. I thought things were getting marginally better. I, always, I would don't walk into a place and say, how's it going you know, with, with the workforce? Like, can you hire people? I do notice I'm getting more people saying I can hire people. Not a lot, but more. But you, you pulled up one clip, and you, we sent it in to bring up. Can you tell me what clip we're going to see? I get hundreds of these a week. This one happened to be sent to me by Gary Sinise, who just said, Mike, is he, can you talk to this guy? Can you do something? And what you're about to hear is just one contractor on one job who's trying to build a couple of houses who showed up for the third day in a row, and none of his men showed up to work. None of them. Here he is. I'm three weeks into a job, three days in a row. Not one showed up for work. I don't care if I pay them 15. I don't give a if I give them 25 or 40. People do not want to work. I don't bitch. I don't complain. I got a fully stocked trailer sitting over there with every tool that you can possibly imagine. I buy tools for them. They either have no driver's license, um, 20 minutes too far to drive, I've even heard the excuse, well, I've got to go home and plan a baby shower from a grown-ass man. I've worked all over the United States. I've done every kind of construction, remodeling, commercial, residential there is. And this is the worst I've ever seen it. So there it is, right? Now, you, you can call it anecdotal. You can look at one guy having a bad day and say, well, you know, try this, try that. I get hundreds of these. Hundreds of these every week. I, I know a lot of people in construction, and they've all been saying the same thing for the last four years. 
they just simply can't find people who are willing to show up early, stay late, and learn a skill that's in demand, period. And now, now we're starting to see how that trickles down and into the rest of the economy and what it means for anybody who, never mind being a plumber, I'm talking about people who need a plumber, who need an electrician, me and you, people who share our addiction to smooth roads and affordable energy and indoor plumbing and all of these things, right? This is the stuff that's starting to fray. And, man, if, if, if it doesn't get your attention, then you're not right. paying attention. So the, one of the guys you said hello to yesterday when you were going into the elevator, we were coming out. Uh, he has a pool company called Built Right Pools. Mm-hmm. He, uh, so for 25 years, he literally gets in there. He'll, he'll dig him out. That's why he's strong as iron. He doesn't need to hit the gym, but he does anyway. And Steve says to me, I'm doing all my own pool closings this year. I yeah. cannot find anybody. Yeah. And, you know, he's young enough to be able to do it, but in 15 years, who knows? His kids can't find anybody. Dude, and he so says, and he'll pay good. And he'll say, I, I don't need to make that much profit, but I'm making more money now. But I'm working. Introduce doing me stuff. to him again when, because the first episode of Dirty Jobs is coming back in uh, December. Is me down here in Florida with a father and son pool team, and these two do the work of like four. And I mean, we clean up the worst looking pool I've ever seen. This pool hadn't been clean in 17 years. But these two guys doing it together. They don't cheat. They make a great living. It's backbreaking. But we laughed the whole day, and I just. I just so, so you got in there. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, you, you, you have to get in there. There's no shortcuts in this. Yeah. But, you know, the dad is north of 60, and he's, he's bent over swinging axes and stuff, you know. And there's, look, here's the math that ought to frighten your listeners more than anything else. Every single year, for, for five people who retire in the skilled trades, two replace them. Five out, two in. It's been that way for 15 years. Five out, two in. This is just math. Right. It's just math. So I'm going to introduce my other friend who's coming this weekend, very patriotic, Mike Ragusa. And I think I might have told you about him. They had a family plumbing business, mm-hmm. and now he's flitted out on his own. And he is 58 now, and is pretty sore, pretty beat up, his hips, his back, and everything. But he says that they can't find plumbers. Like he can't, he can't possibly do all the work that's on his voicemail. There's no way. There's yeah. no way. I'm telling you, this story is everywhere and it's not been covered it's not being covered Mm -hmm. because people are still stuck with the idea that wait if people are out of work it's because there's not enough opportunity right and it's just the wrong way to think about it so micro's penance is when we have an award show or he has a book out or a series to announce he spends an hour with me and it's one of the reasons why he's going to stop being so productive because he does not want to have to do this so we have one block left but i will go to break to put a cap on this historically um, and I told you I'm working on the Booker T. Washington. Yeah. And when he says he remembers being 12 years old and the Union soldiers come in and they say, go to the main house, they go to the main house, and they said, you're free. And they can't believe it. And all the African-Americans started celebrating. And then they came back in and they said, we have nowhere to go. And the white guys basically said, well, good, because we don't know how to do anything. And the black guys, the black families said, I actually felt bad for the white families because we did all their work. Yeah. So think about that. You talk about extreme. Nobody oh, yeah. wants to relive that. But when he formed uh, Tuskegee, Tuskegee University, sure. you go to school, yep. and then at night you work in the college. You literally build and you farm because yeah. you, can't, you said you can't worry about someone hiring you. They may not be ready to hire you. You have to be invaluable. Indispensable. Yes. Yes. Well, look, anything I can do around that project to promote it and talk about yep. it, because the more people who understand who he was and what he did, look, there are no new lessons. 
It, uh, it's a oh, wheel. Yeah. It spins oh, around, yeah. and there's everything we need to know Booker T learned. Absolutely. It's just so funny. It's like you read some of his quotes, and I go, did he get that from Norman Vincent Peale? No, he hadn't been born yet. No, did that he was get that him. from Anthony Robbins? No, no that, was, that him. was him. Yeah. So I hope you're enjoying this conversation. I'm getting motivated just rehearing it. More with Mike Rowe right after the break. America's work ethic. What happened? More with Brian Kilmeade coming up. You're listening to a look at America's work ethic with Brian Kilmeade. I feel like I've become my father. I don't understand the younger generation. They they don't seem to want to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, Do you think you know, that, I that? couldn't I, I couldn't wait to work. Yeah. work. Work for me. I started working as soon as I was able to because that's how I could get money to spend things yeah, I, I mean, wanted. Do you think it's they don't want to work because they don't have to, whether it's their parents or government kind of feathering I don't know. them out? And and that is more from John Mackey just talking about he's just exasperated. He doesn't figure where the work ethic went because he was don't, – we don't know how we got it. But I, to me, I remember getting my papers saying in 12, 13, one more year, I can officially work. Mike Rowe here uh, talking about uh, his new – his series is back uh, on Monday nights. So, Mike, what is your take on what John Mackey is asking the question rhetor- – not rhetorically. He wants an answer. What happened? Well, we have – associated drudgery with work, all work. It's not fulfilling. We've made work the proximate cause of our collective unhappiness. We believe today that job satisfaction has something to do with the job, and it really doesn't. If it, if it weren't that case, well, guys like Booker T. Washington wouldn't have written what they wrote. If, if, if it were the case that job satisfaction is all about the job, then all garbage men would be equally miserable, all uh, Wall Street yeah. types would be equally uh, optimistic. It's laughable. All talk show hosts would be equally engaged. You know, job satisfaction has something to do with the job, but a whole lot more to do with the person. And if you if you start to look at work like this thing, this that's separate and apart from the man or the woman, then 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 you sort of arbitrage the fun out of it, and 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 you just reduce it to action and activity. Why do you think this whole working from home thing is so sensitive right now? It's so it's so fraught, right? Because a lot of people who really favor it, I think, feel as though, okay, finally, now I'm in control. Now I have a measure of control that I didn't have over what I wear or how I sit or how long my break is or so forth and so, so on. So what's missing? So it, it sounds good. I control when I'm working. I control what I do. Mm-hmm. I decide what I can wear. I, yep. Yep. I make my house an office. Yep. It, it, so, it all tracks right up to the point where you're not an entrepreneur. If you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to assume the risk that comes with creating a business, if you want to set your own hours, that's all well and good. But if you're going to accept a paycheck, then, then you've made it a bargain. You've made a different kind of deal with yourself right. and with your employer. You know, you don't have to stick with that deal for the rest of your life, but you've made that deal. Mike Rowe, uh, I want you to hear this. I think it was, is it from TikTok? Was I right? This is from TikTok. This is 20-something mm-hmm. talking about this new term, quietly quitting. <laughs> I'm hearing people talk about the term quiet quitting. What that means is people are not going above and beyond anymore. They're not chasing hustle culture at work. They're just doing the required minimum. Essentially, they're doing what they're getting paid to do. Why does quiet quitting have such a negative connotation, though? Sure sounds a lot to me like creating work-life balance for yourself. 
<laughs> Look, a C plus, a C, you know, it's a passing grade, right? I mean, it's if you work hard. Look, when I went to school, and probably you too, we, we got two grades. We, we got a grade for our accomplishment and our aptitude, and we got a grade for our effort. I got attitude. It was attitude with us. <laughs> well, it was one to five, I remember. Right, right. So all that stuff really matters. What is your attitude? What is your philosophy? What is, have you taken the time to think about your relationship with work, right? Like to really think about it. Have you made it the enemy? Have you uh, suggested perhaps that it's the proximate cause of whatever unhappiness you have in your life? Most people have. So the idea of quietly quitting I'm sure is very appealing to a lot of people because they don't have to step up and do it publicly. You don't have to risk being ostracized or shamed, right? You just quietly fade away and, uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to do now. But I, I still uh, like my I, I actually really – hearing you talk, I actually related to sports – one way not to lose is not to play. Sure. And, and if you're afraid to lose uh, to the point where you don't play, you blame the refs, you quit early, you do things like that, or you don't engage at all. So I can go compete. I'm going to go on Wall Street. I'm going to wear that suit. I'm going to try to make it way up. But if I fail, I don't want to feel like a failure, so I'm not going to engage. Those people are obsessed. These capitalists are obsessed mm-hmm. with winning and losing, making money. I'm, there's more to life than that. Sure. But that gives you a purpose, and to competing, it gives you a vigor and if you have approach it with the right way to test yourself, that takes effort and that takes risk. And the way not to have that is to say those people are terrible and misguided. I'm out. And the way to give them the experiment is to give them a two-year break from working, <laughs> pay them not to work, and then take care of their apartments. We have uh, forgiveness. Sure. You don't have to pay. And guess who gets hurt by that? Everybody else and landlords who didn't get any rent for two years, well, and sure. he can't kick them out, Look, and student loan payments that are not made. I, you're reading my mind. We, we've, we've just asked millions and millions and millions of people who have worked really, really hard from the moment they got out of high school, who have built businesses, who, who, who create jobs. We're asking those people to write the check for $1.7 trillion in outstanding student loans from people who went another way, who made another choice. You want to talk about forgiveness? Fine. I forgive you. But I'm not going to forget. And I'm certainly not going to pay it off. You got to do the deal. Look, you, you've, you. It took me 13 years to pay back my student loans with a deferment, which I had to go to the. Uh, I had to go to the bank and say, "Listen, I couldn't afford $126 a month." So they say you have 18 months. So when I came back, it was 225, and I sent that to. I took loans out every year till I was 35. I was just thinking about this this morning because I hear that Joe Biden's about to forgive everybody's loan. I got two dozen friends with big fat car payments and truck payments who run construction sites. They need their Ford 350. They they need the big Dodge. They have to have it. They bought it. They're paying it off. They're building your house. They're building our roads. Is anybody talking about paying off the debt of that truck? Not that I know of. Let me look it up. Nope. Nope. Of course not. And by the way, nor should we. But the all you need to know about where the line is drawn is about what tools we value. People on dirty jobs... They don't quit quietly. When they quit, they quit, and they move on to the next thing, and they keep going. They don't do anything quietly. They do everything proudly, and they do it all the way up. Like Ernest Hemingway said, there's only one way to live, all the way up. Doing it quietly, doing something, the more important a thing is, the more proudly you ought to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, quitting quietly is just another way of saying whatever it is I've been doing doesn't matter. The other thing I did a special on Hemingway 
I can't say uh, that I'm an expert on him, but doing a special on him, he would write for three or four hours, a certain time, certain day. Uh-huh. People say, well, he was always crazy. He was on the city. No, there was, there was a time to write. There was time to work. And there was a time to live life and then write about what you live. That's right. And that's what he did. But he was disciplined. He would sit at the same typewriter every day in the same room and people knew not to bother him. So even those people who are freelancing out there, you got to set up a discipline. Seinfeld's the best example. Mm-hmm. Seinfeld writes a certain amount, a certain amount of time. He, he keeps records meticulously. And he lives a life in which he make, calls his own shots and he does it better than anybody else. But I would tell you, the talent aside, it's the work. It's the discipline. Look, this this is why working from home is also scary. Most people don't have Hemingway's force of will. When you're home, like how it's very, very difficult for people to do what you just described. So I hope you enjoyed this special look at America's work ethic, where it's gone and where it's where how we can get it back. I do hope that people understand that we're not the only ones dealing with this as a country. When the pandemic happened and people were forced to sit back and as students kick back and maybe as workers Uh, find out you're not necessary, and then look around and say, do I really want to do this for a living? Is my identity too wrapped up in work? And coming to the conclusion, perhaps I am. Or you want a more well-rounded life, I understand it. But sooner or later, America's got to go back to doing what we do best, the thing that separates us from all the rest. We're willing to work harder, work longer to get results. And all this motivation has to come from within, which goes back to parents. If parents, I don't care if you're divorced, single, whatever it is, You put in values and ethics, and don't worry about the nuances of parenting, just the foundation of parenting. I'm not saying I'm the perfect example, but I'm telling you these are the principles at work. You put it in your kids, the neighbors put it in their kids, we'll have a generation willing to take back the world again because we're willing to outwork and out-innovate them. And it's got to happen in the small town and the small family and help the big picture. You know what also adds to all that? Patriotism. Pride in the work you do in the country that you're in. Thanks so much for Mike Rota always helping out uh, and everybody else for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. And don't forget, next year we'll talk more about this as you continue to tune into the show that you support. That's why I keep doing it. Have a great day. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.